Excellent. Well, Merry Christmas, right? It's not too early. It can't be. This is the first Sunday of Advent, and I am thrilled that you have chosen to join us here today at Northridge. Whether you're here in the building or whether you are joining us online, I am thrilled. Uh, Advent is a wonderful season within the church and uh, one of my favorite seasons within the church, in fact. And, and these weeks, Advent, they provide us with an opportunity to celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ as Savior of the world and to anticipate his glorious return. It's just a little bit hot, eh? The microphone, it's okay? Just a little bit of a ring if we could. Thanks. That word, Advent... That really means the coming or uh, arrival. It's from the Latin Adventus. And it's not just an extension of Christmas. What Advent is, it's, it's a season that unites the past, that meets us in the present, and that gives us hope for tomorrow and the future. Through Advent, we celebrate the birth of Jesus 2,000 years ago. We, we live currently in the reality of a risen Savior and relationship with that same child who grew to be a man. And we look forward to the day of God's return, of his kingdom's reign in completion when he comes back for his people. And so I love Advent. I love it. I couldn't help, as we were singing, you know, that first Christmas carol, uh, we stood and watched, and I think I could, it was just this overwhelming sense where I had to voice it, and I leaned over to Carolyn, and I was like, man, I love Christmas. I love it in church, and I love what it means and what it does. And this year, here at Northridge, for this Advent season in the, in the days leading up to Christmas, we are invited to rediscover what Christmas is all about. And this is something that I know I need in my life. I mean, and I don't know about you, but how have your Christmases looked these past few years, hey? Certainly different. We spent the last few Christmases in Edmonton, and of course with the pandemic that continues to still have ripples through our world. We were without family and friends and, you know, some of those normal traditions. You're probably the same. Some of the things that you hold close... You had to sacrifice or you couldn't take part in. For many in our world, Christmas, this whole Christmas season has been hijacked by secularism. It's become a, a season, a frenzied season of busyness and activities, and some are good, but not really a word peace <laughs> that we'd use to describe Christmas for what it truly is, eh? For how we live it out. We focus and we're encouraged on TV and, you know, and as we shop online and do all those things to maximize our buying power. Black Friday yesterday, or on Friday, right? This weekend. More money spent this year. $9.1 billion. We focus on that. We're encouraged to do that. And there are other things, too. Maybe one of the things we do and we're encouraged to do is decorate our house in a way that our neighbors need sunglasses at night. 
And yet with all this Christmas stuff that's going on, it doesn't really have anything to do with Christmas. The Advent season then stands as an invitation to the church, to humanity, to pause, to set that stuff aside, even if it's just for a moment, to set it aside and reconsider what it really means. A moment to ponder the true meaning and impact of who Jesus is. And so this Advent season for us is an opportunity then to rediscover Christmas. And that's my hope as we share together in these weeks leading up to Christmas Day and and we begin by examining and considering what it means to have hope, by rediscovering hope. And just so we're all on the same page here, I want us to think about what hope really means. How do we understand it? We likely use the word daily, hope, right? How do we use it? I hope the snow holds off another bit. I said even this morning, I hope I don't have to shovel one blade of snow. (laughs) Not likely going to happen. There's the other side where I've also heard people say, oh, I hope we have snow for Christmas. I hope we have snow soon. I hope Santa brings me an official Red Rider carbine action, 200-shot model air rifle. The compass in the stock, and the little thing that tells time. You know this movie? This is my childhood. <laughs> Sometimes, though, we hope for things that are a little more serious. I hope I can get some grace on my hydro bill. I hope that this person or that person gets out of hospital soon. I hope that my son can find a job. I hope that my kids are going to be okay. And see, while each of these sentiments are are different, the reality is that in earnest, they're all the same. And they treat hope like wishful thinking, like something that can't be known, but, but that we would really desire to happen. And that is how many people understand hope. It's this optimistic wishful longing. But that, then, is where the Bible tells a different story. Because that's not what hope is as it's expressed in Scripture. Because while the world thinks of hope as a wish, a biblical understanding of hope is rooted in confident assurance. It's a way of knowing. It's tied to stability and security. Hebrews 6 and 9 talks about the certainty of God's promises. And in this verse, we read, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And so you can see that that this understanding of hope is, is far greater than just semantics over language. Because hope for the Christian, for me and you and those who seek to follow Christ, Hope is directly tied to who Jesus is, to what he brings, what he has done. For us today, we can put our hope in Christ, that is, we can trust explicitly with confidence and with certainty and with security. 
We can hope in Jesus because Jesus is hope. And that is why we talk about that's why we talk about hope so much at Christmas. Because in the birth of Jesus, we witness hope personified. And it's not wishful thinking, it's real. And it became real that first Christmas day. But it wasn't always that way. In our Bible passage, we gain a, a glimpse of what it looked like to live with hope before Jesus came. And in Luke chapter 2, we're introduced to a prophet, a, a man named Simeon. And I know that this is not the highlight of Luke chapter 2. I understand that we'd rather focus on the babe in the manger and the shepherds and the angels and the heavenly choir and all those things. And I promise that that day is coming. It's an encouragement to come back. But we're going to talk about that and we're going to dwell in the stable. But today, I want to start with Simeon. And I want to give you some context. See, because in the day and age surrounding Christ's birth, the Israelites, even though they were God's chosen people, that wasn't really reflected in how they were living and how they understood their lives and how they lived them out. They were a defeated nation in this day under the thumb of the Roman Empire. They were people who were tolerated at best, but subject to the emperor's whims and brutality and conquest. And it had been thousands of years since God first spoke to Abraham and said, I will make you a great nation and all the people on earth will be blessed of you. Thousands of years had passed. And over the course of those thousands of years between God's promise and where they are now, the people of God had been invaded and conquered by Assyrians, by Babylonians, by Persians and Medes. These kingdoms would come and take over Israel, drive them out of Jerusalem, their homes being exiled, and then were restored only then to be overrun by Greek and Roman legions. In my Bible, there's a commentary, and it says, it had been generations and generations since the formation of God's covenant with humanity, promising a Messiah to make things right, to bless humanity and restore all that we humans had messed up since God's perfect creation. And so there hung this promise of God, and the people were called to have faith, to hope that God would fulfill it. And so they hung on to hope that God would send his Messiah because he said they would, because he said he would. And so because God said it, the people knew, they hoped, they had confidence that he would deliver and fulfill on his promise. And so this one fateful day, Mary and Joseph bring Jesus, the newborn, to the temple according to their custom. They were Jewish, and one of the Jewish laws, one of the requirements, meant the firstborn had to be dedicated to God through a ceremony. And so they go to the temple, and there's a man there, an old man named Simeon. Now, Simeon had been praying and waiting on the Lord to send the Messiah. See, God had told him that he would see the Savior of the world before he died. And so he waited, and he prayed for this day to happen. And of course, you picture it in your mind's eye, 
Mary and Joseph enter the temple courts with Jesus. And Simeon looks and his spirit just leaps with joy. We don't know exactly how he knows other than God told him he would experience this and he would see the promised Messiah. And when he does, he just knows. And his spirit leaps with joy. And he takes Jesus into his arms. And he proclaims, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. And he is the glory of your people, Israel. And so that is what it looked like to have hope in Jesus' day. Remember, these were dark days and had been generations of dark days. Yet Simeon's hope didn't waver. And he wasn't surprised, he wasn't hesitant when he saw the baby. He praised God for who Jesus was and for what he would do. See, hope is fuel for faith. See, there's an aspect of, of living with hope that brings a confidence about things that are yet unseen. The songwriter proclaims it. That through Christ we have faith for today and bright hope for tomorrow. What's the rest of it? Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Hope remembers, see, that God is faithful. Hope remembers that God keeps his promises. And so as believers and followers of Christ, regardless of what we experience today, despite the circumstances we find ourselves in, despite the trials we go through, we know that there are brighter days ahead. Because God has said so. From Romans chapter 8, verse 18. This is from the New Living Translation. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that He will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who His children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. And we believers, too, also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently. And confidently. See, church, hope excites us and comforts us when the future is uncertain. Hope exists in questions and in doubts. It speaks in those moments when, when things are unclear and we don't know what's going to happen. 
And that's because hope is the willingness and desire to believe and trust God with confidence. Despite what our present circumstances and our reality might lead us to believe. That's what hope does. Hope calls us to look around and recognize where we are and sometimes things aren't going so well. And hope draws us back to God and says, yeah, things are not going well right now. But this is nothing compared to how good it's going to be later. The passage that I read from Romans, it concludes with this verse. Verse 8 and 26. Sorry, chapter 8 and verse 26. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. See, because hope is not only about tomorrow, but it's also about today. Isaiah 7 and 14 says, all right then, I love how that starts, we're right in the middle of the context here, but all right then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means, say it with me, God is with us. God with us. See, he knows us intimately. With us. When Jesus came to earth, he united the natures of of God and man. Jesus experienced what we experience. And that truth means that he knows just what we need when we need it. Even when our lives feel like they're falling apart. Even when we experience life's worst moments. Jesus knows how to minister to us through his spirit. Because he's been there. And hope reminds us of that truth. Again, from the commentary in my Bible, it says, this is a hope that he infuses within us. I love that. This is a hope that is infused within us. A hope filled and fanned within us by God's Spirit, even in our weakness, even in our grim circumstance, even in our deepest pain, when the faintest gleam of hope seems too far away or so impossible, God, through his Spirit, reminds us and speaks to us. When we feel too weak to carry on, when we feel our grasp slipping on even the ability to try to hope, his Spirit speaks, helps us to restore hope by reminding us of God's faithfulness and of his promises. His Spirit often will lead us into God's Word to hear those promises once again, to remind us of all that God has done. Verses like this from Jeremiah 29 and 11. Will you read it with me? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. From Isaiah chapter 43, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I've called you by name, and you are mine. When you go through deep waters, God says, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames won't consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. See, friends, hope reminds us that God is to be trusted, that we can be confident in him because he keeps his word. 
And so if hope is found in Jesus Christ, and if we're invited into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and if hope stirs within us when life is hard to remind us of God's promises like those we read for today and for tomorrow, then what do we have to worry about? Right? What do we have to be anxious about? This is why hope is so important. Hope calls us to a bigger understanding of who God is and what his purposes are. Hope moves our perspective from this to this. And it's something that can change the world. Hope can change the world. We live in a day and age where so many are burdened so deeply, overcome with worry. Worry leads to stress. Stress can lead to depression and anxiety and poor health, mental health issues. I mean, that's the world in which we live, right? Like, look around. That's what we see around us. But praise God, because of Christmas, we don't have to live like that. We don't have to choose to be that way. We can choose to live as people who hope, who have confidence in Christ and in God's promises. What a wonderful gift that is. What a great privilege to know who Jesus is, this source of hope in each and every moment, the one who holds our tomorrows all the way into eternity. But here's the thing, all right, about this gift, this gift of hope. We sang it a bit earlier. That gift has been given to us, but we have to choose to accept it. It's already been given. God's already made a way. We simply have to accept the hope that God gives. And that, friends, to live in hope, to do that, we simply have to choose Christ. One of the traditions I have in my family is we can't put any Christmas presents under the tree until we're ready to open them. Because the one thing that irritates me most is knowing there's something there and I can't touch it. I know, that's very shallow for your pastor, but it's true. I hear it as I'm saying it, but it's true. Just knowing that it's there, but it's completely useless to me until I accept it, until I open it and take it. And in the same way, this gift of hope and righteousness, this wonderful blessing of who Jesus is, has already been given. And some of us yet choose to just look at it. And it doesn't do us any good. We go about our business, and eventually we get to a point where we even forget it's under the tree. We forget this gift of hope is available. And we struggle, and we worry, and we fret, and we become anxious. And all the while, God is saying, look, I've given you the answer to this. And it's Jesus. Hope. 
And so if you are here today, if you don't know that hope, if your gift of hope is still just sitting under the tree, don't wait. Don't wait on that. I pray that this Advent season we would rediscover true hope, not as wishful thinking or or meager desires, but that it would be a renewed sense of confidence in God through relationship with the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And if you're here and you don't know that kind of hope, maybe it's not rediscover hope, maybe it's discover hope. And if that's you and you're sick of worrying and the uncertainty and living with hopelessness in your life, then I'm going to invite you to pray with us. To come before our Heavenly Father in humility, seeking His hope. Ask Him for forgiveness for the things in our lives that that don't please him. Ask him for forgiveness of ignoring this wonderful gift of hope that's been given. Pray that Jesus would fill you from the inside out to fill us with trust, to have confidence and faith, to hope in him. Because in Christ alone, our hope is found. May that be our understanding and our prayer this Advent season. May we experience once again a renewal of hope that is confidence in God, that he will do what he says he will do and has done it. Will you pray with me? Let me invite our worship team. Father God, as we pause before you just now, we give you great thanks for the hope that we know to be found in your name. God, you have a name like no other. One that we call out to. No matter what we experience, no matter what we are going through, faith in you, hope in you tells us that we can bring it to you. Faith in you tells us we don't have to worry about what tomorrow holds or about how today is recognizing that that you have a plan that you choose to bless us and bless us through the ability to be found in relationship with your son Jesus and so God I pray for my church for those who are here for those who watch or will watch later I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would move in the hearts and minds of your people in these moments. That you would call us to rediscover hope and faith through relationship with you. God, I pray for those who don't know you. I ask that that you would stir in their hearts that this would be the day where they seek you. That they would cry out to you. They would profess that their hope is in you. God, too, I pray for those who are struggling, for those who are experiencing hopelessness because of illness or 
because of situation. I pray, God, that in these moments, you would draw close to them, that you would remind them that you are a God who loves and a God who can be trusted, that there are brighter days ahead because of who Jesus is. Bless them, God, and watch over them. And I pray now that as we share together in this song, as we spend these sacred moments worshiping and coming before you, that you would meet with your people and speak to our hearts and minds and that we would come away from these moments being different, being changed and and transformed because we have met with you, because your son has moved in our hearts through his spirit and that we have rediscovered what hope really is. So bless us, God. Meet with us in these moments. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.